Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Black woman. Beautiful. Powerful. Resilient female of African descent with skin kissed by the sun. Conversation. A talk, especially an informal one, between two or more people in which news and ideas are exchanged. We love being black women. Black women are ambitious. Black women are confident. Black women are diligent. We are tenacious. We walk out of our houses put together. We are many shades and personalities of fabulous. But we as black women don't talk about our dilemmas, current events, and what's going on every day that affects us. So... We created this podcast as a way to laugh together, cry together, and have an open conversation about life as black women. Oh, that's deep. Black Women Conversations. Hey, Nicole. Hey, Janine. How's How your you been week been? It's good. It's It's been good. I, as you know, went a little hard in the uh, workout area, trying to keep up with uh, Jackie for our 28-day challenge. It kind of knocked me on my tail yesterday. So if you are listening and you follow our social media, you know that Janine has signed us up for this 28-day challenge. Now, if you know me, um, you know I like to work out, but sort of in spurts. And I have to be really motivated myself to actually work out hard. Otherwise, um, I usually walk my son twice a day. Sometimes I get on the Peloton. Most of the time, I don't get on the Peloton. But Janine has made us do 28 days straight of workout and healthy eating. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast, you know that Janine has recently had surgery. And so she should not be working out and doing high interval intensity workouts, ma'am. Okay, so if you know Janine, you know that she either does something not at all or she goes super hard. There's no gray area for Janine. So I either don't do it or I'm going to do it as much as I can. And right now we are in the as much as I can phase for working out, probably because I've been literally stuck in the house for months now. I am stir crazy. So the fact that I'm, you know, able to work out, I'm super excited. And, you know, just FYI, if you don't want to use the Peloton, feel free to ship it to Maryland. Do you know how much it would cost to ship a Peloton to Maryland? <laughs> right. I could just buy a whole new one. <laughs> you could buy literally a whole new Peloton. Like I can gift you one if that's the case. <laughs> just saying, but can I tell you a secret though? Sure. So I've been really good with the 28 day challenge. I've been eating the things I'm supposed to eat. Yay. Yay. But... I haven't been doing Jackie's workouts like I'm supposed to. <laughs> did you just tell I on yourself? Whatever. Yes, I did. I have been doing, I've been walking still. Um, Like I say, I might have done the Peloton once in the last week. So that's good for me. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been doing some other like step aerobics and things like that. So I have been doing something. I have to build my way up for, for HIIT. 
Got it. Just saying. Well, we took the well, I took the Zumba class. It what well, it wasn't really convenient for your schedule because you're on a different time zone than we are. But the Zumba has really been like a thing for me. Like it almost kind of feels like I'm dancing, so I don't really feel like I'm working out until I'm like pouring sweat and ready to like lay across my bed. I've enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed it. But this week I think that I'm gonna take it a little bit slower because I also we're also gearing up to do our 10K that we signed up for. The I run for wine. <laughs> so it's just a lot. You know what? I'm really excited about that, though. I run for wine. So because what better reward can you give yourself than just a little glass of wine at the end? I know, right? So for those who are listening and might not follow us on social media, number one, you should follow us on social media. And number two, we are doing a run. It's called I run for wine. You can sign up. You can do it anytime between now and the end of the month. You do not have to do it on a specific day. It's virtual social distance style fundraiser the proceeds from the i run for wine go to stand up to cancer please if you would like to help in some way shape or form and you would also like to get fit run for wine with us Yes, you can join our team. Um, the link is on our Facebook page. You can just click it directly and go straight there. Um, if you're following us on Instagram, you can see our link tree, and it could take you there as well. So you have no excuse. It's the best $34 you'll ever spend in your whole entire life. You get this super cute uh, T-shirt. You get a medal like, hey, you've already won. And um, you get a couple other cute little things. You get like a sign with a number on it. So it's like really like a 10K. And trust me, it's when I heard 10K, because Janine was like, do you want to sign up for the 5K or the 10K? And in my head, I was thinking the 5K. But I resisted and I signed up for the 10K. So join us, join our team and sign up for I Run For Wine. So yeah. Janine, what's on your timeline this week? As we all know, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And at the beginning of this month, um, MTV VJ, as we know her, Ananda Lewis, Nicole and I grew up with Ananda on MTV, but she also did a show on TLC, While You Were Out, which is the home renovation show. We love Ananda Lewis. So she announced at the beginning of this month that she has been battling breast cancer for two years and she just announced it. She apologized to her friends and um, family for those who were getting the announcement the same time that the general public was. And she shared that this is something that she's been struggling with for two years and it kind of implied that she's been struggling with the idea of sharing it as well as the fact that she's battling breast cancer. So a little bit about her story. She shared that she watched her mother for 30 years receive mammograms. And after receiving mammograms for 30 years, as she was supposed to, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Ananda, you know, did some research in her mind and through the research that she did, she correlated the exposure of radiation during mammograms with breast cancer. So in her mind, she said, well, my mom has been receiving mammograms for 30 years she's had 30 years worth of radiation exposure from the mammograms and thus she put in her mind that's the reason why her mother got breast cancer because that's the way that she thought she did not get mammograms she said that she would have had about three or four mammograms at this point in her life based on her age the suggestion that you should start getting mammograms at the age of 40 but she never received them. She never went to get mammograms because she felt that the radiation would then put her at higher risk for getting breast cancer. She did do self-breast exams and she found that she had breast cancer and she was diagnosed two years ago. But she said by the time that she was diagnosed, she would have received, like I said, three to four mammograms. And at this point, because she is in more advanced stages of breast cancer, 
she's actually received two PET scans. In the middle of her um, telling us what she's going through, she said, do you understand how much radiation two PET scans are? Two PET scans are the equivalent of having 30 mammograms each. She admonished all of the people that were watching and listening to make sure that you get a mammogram. She said that she understands the research that is out there and she stands by the research that she has seen and she stands by the belief that, you know, radiation is harmful and could potentially cause cancer. However, weighing the risk, she now knows that it's it's less harmful if you get your routine mammograms than to catch breast cancer at a later stage. So she said now she has, obviously she wants everyone to get a mammogram and she has started getting mammograms. She was diagnosed with stage three cancer and it's in her lymphs and she's doing 100% natural protocols. That is her decision. She said that she's, you know, does not recommend any treatment herself because she's not a health professional, but she is saying, you know, do what is best for you. You know your body, you know the conversations that you need to have with your doctor and do what is best for you. But please, please, she begged for people to make sure that they get mammograms. She also said at the emotional ending, she said, you know, she didn't expect to get emotional, but it's hard for her. And it's hard because she's super private and it's difficult. You know, this experience I'm sure is difficult for anyone that goes through being diagnosed with breast cancer. You know, what do you do? When do you tell everyone? How do you break the news? And for her, you know, as a public figure, I'm sure it was a little bit more difficult. But she said, you know, she doesn't want people to feel sorry for her. That is not the reason why she's sharing the story. She's sharing the story because, you know, her thought process, as educated as she thought that she had become and as much research as she had done for herself, she still found herself with stage three breast cancer that had spread to her lymphs. She told everyone to make sure that you get your mammograms and stress that, yes, she does believe the research that says that radiation could potentially cause cancer, but risk of the radiation is minimal in comparison to being diagnosed in late stages of breast cancer. She since posted a video just a couple of days ago and said that she really appreciates the outpouring and, you know, she tries to get back to everyone's comments and read everything. She said, but she's in active treatment and she said that she's doing well and, you know, she's confident that she's going to beat this and she has children that she wants to live for. So, you know, we are praying for her. We believe with her that she's going to beat breast cancer and we hope that her story helps others to understand that, yes, there are some risks, there are risks with anything, but the reality is being diagnosed in early stages of breast cancer, you have a greater chance of survival with the early diagnosis than the risk of getting cancer from the radiation from mammograms. You know, when I saw the story on social media, of course, I instantly started doing some digging. It angers me almost that I don't know where she got the information from. You know, she says she's well-researched and then I was confused about she's getting natural treatments, but then she's getting treatments now. Like, I'm not really sure what that means. I'm not really sure if she's like actively getting chemotherapy and or radiation if needed, or if she's doing something that's more holistic. I'm just hoping that she's doing, being as aggressive as possible. A lot of the reasons that we get into trouble can be because people want a second opinion and a third opinion and people want time to process things and they don't have people that are telling them go get it. I mean this is like a, a disease that you really have to be very aggressive in and just go get it. And uh, for people that are listening, in the in the event that you research the same thing as Miss Lewis researched in that all this radiation exposure, I don't want to have it because that in turn can increase my risk of breast cancer. 
Let me let you know, the amount of radiation that you get from a mammogram is less than a chest x-ray. It is a teeny, 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 tiny amount. Even in pregnant women, we try to avoid radiation, right, because of the risk to the baby. But a chest x-ray is something we can make an exception for if you have issues with shortness of breath. And even one CT scan, we can make an exception for, which is equivalent to like 10 chest x-rays. So usually if I have women that are 40 and they're pregnant, the first thing I ask is, have you had a mammogram? And if they haven't, they're getting a mammogram in pregnancy. So um, I just want to make sure people understand that the amount of radiation from a mammogram is super, 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 super tiny. Um, the second thing I want to make sure people understand and know is you've received a diagnosis that can be detrimental, but it doesn't have to define who you are or your outcome, right? So you can be really aggressive with this thing. And the sooner that you say, okay, I have the disease, I want to go ahead and start treatment, the sooner that you can start getting medications to fight the cancer. So every, and I'm a firm believer that people should get a second opinion, right? I don't think it hurts to get a second opinion, but get that second opinion very quickly. So if you get a diagnosis in a week, get a second opinion in two weeks. Don't wait two or three months to get a second opinion. In two or three months, you could have had two or three cycles of chemotherapy. Like, let's be clear. And the more aggressive that we are with cancer, the better the outcome is in the long term. So yes, seek your second opinion, but then you have to tell people that you have it because people don't know how to support you unless you tell them and then be very aggressive with it. And so I have patients all the time that are like, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't want to tell my family. Like that's the first thing you do. You tell your family, you get a second opinion. If that second opinion agrees with the first opinion, then you got to be aggressive. That's that's my two cents. And I know I'm, I'm a little aggressive in my sound because I'm very passionate about this um, because I wish that she felt like she had the support at that time to talk to somebody. And I wish that her doctors would have referred her to somebody to talk to, even if she can't talk to her family, some counselor to talk through the situation um, and talk through the pros and the cons of treatment early. I mean, you're 100% correct. I think that people, you know, unfortunately, we live in the day of like, you know, self-diagnosing and WebMD, right? Like we go online and we look at stuff and I'm guilty of it. Like you all have heard prior to me reconnecting with Nicole, I would self-diagnose all the time and convince myself of why I did not need to go to the doctor because that was something that was going to hinder my schedule in some way because... Of course, my schedule was somehow in my mind more important than my health, right? So I think that unfortunately, we live in a time where we have access to enough to make it dangerous, right? Like we are in a place where we think like, okay, if we just look it up on the internet really quickly, we'll have some sort of answer. Go to a doctor, get a mammogram. The reality of it is, is that especially for black women, it, it is killing us at a much, much higher rate than it is our white counterparts. And we're not contracting the disease any more than they are. It's just killing us more. More Oh That's Deep Black Women Conversations right after this. Pregnancy Pearls, hosted by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty. So initially uh, in high school, I was going to go to Tulane and major in pre-law. On the mock trial team, I was team captain. And I spent a long time like picking every single word of my cases. And I thought, I don't want to do this for a living. I ended up being exposed to the field of medicine. I met three counselors, all went to Xavier University, which is why I went there. 
I realized I want to make sure that not another pregnant woman that's a 23 year old that is educated person dies like this. I was the first African-American not from Mississippi to train at the University of Mississippi and received an amazing education in hypertensive disorders of pregnancy and just pregnancy complications in general. It's extremely important if you're pregnant or even if you're not pregnant to make sure that you take your health seriously. And that includes making sure you are up to date on your well women exam. That's extremely important. Pregnancy Pearls is a mean old lion media production. So um, today we have a special guest, the resilient Miss Carrie Connor Matchett. Miss Matchett is not only a mom of three, but also a partner at Anita T. Connor and Associates PC, certified public accountants and finance services, aka the tax divas. She is an active member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. So, um, you know, that's pretty much the only mistake you made in your life because you know that I'm a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha. But we're not going to go there this morning. No. Not this morning. Not this morning. All Greek love. All Greek love. Okay. She is um, also a member of the Lynx and the Pennsylvania Society of Tax and Accounting Professionals. She has received numerous awards for her services. Most impressively, she has done all this while surviving breast cancer. In 2008, she was diagnosed with advanced breast cancer, but that did not stop her. Because of this, she co-founded the nonprofit Praise is the Cure Incorporated, whose mission is to eliminate breast cancer disparities amongst African-American women. In 2010, she wrote her first book entitled, My Mommy Has Breast Cancer, But She Is Okay. In 2017, she was diagnosed with stage four metastatic breast cancer and continues to fight today. She has continued to travel the country and appears on numerous TV and media platforms, inspiring both adults and children to never give up, regardless of what life experiences come their way. Carrie, we are excited to have you join the conversation. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. October is my month. I get super passionate about um, the month of October because, you know, breast cancer has impacted my family. Um, it started 22 years ago. And it's just, it really enrages me because where we were 22 years ago is the same place that we are today. Black women 22 years ago were dying at greater rates than any other ethnic group from the disease. And today we're still dying at greater rates than any other ethnic group from the disease. And, you know, our nonprofit, we've developed the slogan that just says, this must stop. You know, I have two little girls. We have to do something to change the story when it comes to breast cancer and how it's affecting our community. Uh, Carrie, you said that it started 22 years ago. So can you give us the background of why you say 22 years ago specifically? Sure. So 22 years ago, uh, my mother, who was the co-founder of Praise is the Cure, Anita T. Connor, she was diagnosed with an aggressive stage of breast cancer. She was only 41 years old. Um, and she had the lump for a long time, um, for years. And doctors used to tell her back then, oh, it's nothing. You're too young for it to be breast cancer. And when she was going in for a routine exam, her doctor said, you know what? Let's just take this lump out since it's bothering you. And it ended up being very aggressive. My mom's only um, chances really for survival were for her to enter into a clinical trial. 
and I'm so happy that they did. I could talk about clinical trials for days because we don't participate in them, but she did the clinical trial. It was tough. It was tough watching in the years that she went through. I mean, she had chemo, which is 10 times the standard dose. I mean, she used to have to give herself shots. It was a lot. I had just graduated from college um, to come and work at home in the family business, but it was through watching my mom that I learned the statistics and, and what's going on in our community about breast cancer. And we said at that time that, that we wanted to educate our women. We wanted to educate the community and we wanted to get the word out that breast cancer is not a death sentence, but you have to get your mammograms. Education is the key and we have to talk about it. And 22 years ago when my mother was diagnosed, no one was talking about breast cancer. She was one of those people that didn't want to tell anyone what she was going through for fear of what people might think, um, especially as a business owner. We started Praises the Cure 15 years ago. Um, we started going into our religious organizations, our churches, and we had Praise Sunday, and we started handing out educational materials um, to the churches and to its members, just explaining to them um, and, and educating people on breast cancer. Um, we didn't know that 10 years after my mother's diagnosis that I, at the age of 33, would get breast cancer. And again, my, my cancer was aggressive, it was advanced. I was educated, so I started getting mammograms at the age of 29 because my mother was diagnosed so young. And even still, by the time we caught it, it was very aggressive. And I had a very aggressive treatment protocol um, back then. You know, I had chemo, I had a double mastectomy. I did more chemo, I did radiation, I had reconstruction, I had surgeries, it was a lot but I did everything that the doctors told me to do. I had a two-year-old daughter, so I had a reason to fight and I was young, but the journey was difficult, but I got through it and I thought I was done. And you know, I just went back to life ripping and running. And then nine years later in 2017, I had trouble breathing. And did I stop and take care of myself? No, I just said, oh, I had a bad cough and I just kept going um, until one day my husband said, do not come home until you go to the doctor and see what's going on. And even when I walked into the doctor's office, I said, can you just write a prescription for this cough? Because my husband is driving me crazy. And she said, yeah, that probably is a cough. And then as I'm walking out the door, she said, but you know what, I'm gonna get you a chest X-ray too. And she gave me the X-ray, the prescription for the chest X-ray. I still didn't go get it because I just thought it was a cough. And then one day I'm sitting outside of a client's and I'm like, oh, I'm really having trouble breathing. Let me just go get this chest X-ray. And I went to get the chest X-ray and the doctor in the hospital told me to come right back because fluid was in my left lung and my lung was getting ready to collapse. And you know, I'm so mad at myself because I talk about this all the time. But you know, with three children, with having a business, with being involved in different activities, I self-diagnosed and just said it was a cold. And it turned out my cancer had come back. Um, it was eating away at my rib cage. Um, I was in tremendous pain. I have been on chemotherapy, shots, everything ever since. But I keep going. I keep going because I think this is so important to get the word out. And I get emotional, so hopefully I don't get emotional on you guys um, because I just don't want to see other people go through what I'm going through. I'll be 46 years old in November and I am fighting breast cancer again for the second time. And it's tough. Carrie, we gonna all be emotional on this. <laughs> I was about to say. With you. Um, so, you know, please don't apologize for that. Um, 
how long had you been in remission before? Because usually um, I can understand how you would get like sort of comfortable because after mm -hmm. five years of remission, you know, it's sort of like, okay, this is, this is a wash, you know, this is good. I can move on. How long had you been in remission and had you been getting screened annually or every six months after you finished your first chemo cycles? So it was nine years. I did the five years of preventative meds. Um, and so I really, I mean, I just didn't worry about it anymore. You know, I could see the doctor once a year, but if I was feeling good, he said, well, just call me, you know, when I felt something different. I had no idea. Like once I hit that five year mark, because that's what everyone says, I just said, I'm, I'm just done. And I used to joke with the nurses the first time around. And I said, I think, you know, I, God has given me a pass. Like he let me go through all this early so that, you know, I can just enjoy the rest of my life. Like I never imagined the cancer coming back, especially once I got to that five year, you know, threshold um, I had. I was in the process of adopting two children. So it really just threw me for a loop, even when I was in the hospital that second time and they were telling me that there's fluid on the lungs. I was just like, oh, it's pneumonia. So like, what do we need to do? Do you need to drain it? Do you need to do? But I knew like deep down that something wasn't right because they were rolling me up to the cancer floor. Um, and then they let, they waited and called my, um, my doctor, my oncologist and let him tell me what was going on. So, and even still, he didn't want to say anything until we ran all the tests and he was absolutely sure that, you know, this is what it is. So my life has been changed forever. But if you read the statistics and the studies, black women younger and younger are getting, they're starting with metastatic breast cancer. And, you know, we have to figure out why this is affecting our community, our mothers, our daughters, our sisters, our grandmothers. What can we do? Um, and we have to participate in these clinical trials because doctors don't know about enough about us. Um, we have to teach our daughters to take care of themselves. I mean, my daughter's 14 and I say, you know, Madison, you have to start feeling your breasts, doing a self-breast exam. And I know that's very uncomfortable for her, but I have to have the conversations. Like, this is what you have to do. We have to talk to our children um, and even some of our older adults. You know, stop for a second. Like, you will not, your family will not be able to survive or function really without you. So if you don't take care of yourself, you know, how are you gonna be able to take care of them? I think that that's a really important point to make. Like, I think that as black women, oftentimes we are like, you know, we have to do this and we have to do that. And we, you know, we're concerned about our husbands and our children and our, you know, and everyone else. We often forsake our own needs. I think that that's really important to remember that, like, how are you going to continue to take care of other people if your health is not where it needs to be? And I don't think that we ever really remember that until our health is in jeopardy. Listening to your story, I remember, like, you know, just for the listeners, before we got on, I was telling Carrie how I remember her. A few years ago, we'll say very few so we don't age ourselves, but back some few years ago, I used to work at WDAS in Philadelphia, and we did, you know, a breast cancer panel. And Carrie was on that panel. I remember thinking to myself, oh, my goodness, she's so young. How is it that she's this young and she's dealing with this? Because you're not that much older than I am. And then I thought to myself, and her mother too. And it's like, I just, you know, and I'm no medical professional, but in my mind, I'm, I keep thinking like, how does a disease like this tear through generations of African-American women? And I haven't seen anything that explains it, right? Also, 
The other thing that, you know, you have been a huge proponent of since I met you is clinical trials, right? And we as African-American, specifically African-American women, tend to be very skeptical of clinical trials. And it's and rightfully so, because, you know, history of this country has, you know, used African-Americans as guinea pigs for things that just didn't make sense, right? So we just have this underlying skepticism when it comes to clinical trials. But the reality of it is, is that clinical trials often save lives. I am. You know, when I was diagnosed the the first time with breast cancer, you know, I heard my mom whispering to herself because she actually went to the doctors with me and she felt like she had given me the disease. Like she felt so bad, um, you know, that I was getting ready to go through this journey And what I remind her all the time is I remember sitting in the oncologist's office and when they were telling me that I had cancer and I was getting ready to go through the protocol, you know, I asked my doctor, I said, am I going to have to go through everything that my mom went through? Because in my mind, mentally, I was just like, I can't do that. Like, I cannot do those things I saw her doing. And he was just like, no, we've come so far since then. And so I tell my mother that you know, her participating in a clinical trial in some way made my treatment process so much better. Um, the doctors have much more information. The things that she had to do, I did not have to do. Um, I don't even know. I mean, I, I guess I would have pushed through and do it. But I do believe that her participation in a clinical trial actually saved my life. Um, and so I do remind her of that all the time is that, you know, Clinical trials, people are very scared of them, just like you said, um, because of everything that's happened, you know, in history. But one of the first things that my oncologist said, too, is that he was really sorry because they just don't know enough about black women. And, you know, that's scary. And that's why, you know, it's so frustrating that, you know, 22 years ago, and I'll say it again, we were dying at greater rates and it's the same thing today. And why, like, why do black women have to be dying at greater rates more than any other ethnic group? Um, and, and we have to do something about that. And I do believe, like I look at everything that I go through and I say sometimes like, why me? But I think that God has given me this because this is my purpose. Like, it's my purpose to be able to go out here and show women that, yeah, like, it's tough every day. When my feet hit the floor, I feel pain. And my husband reminds me that it's just God just telling me that you're still alive. So when I'm in pain now, when my feet hit the floor, you know, I remember that I am still here. And if God is waking me up, then I'm going to keep sharing my message. You don't have to die from breast cancer. You can do this. I had a two-year-old the first time. And that's what we try to do at Praise is the Cure. We try to educate. We try to give women access to screenings and treatments. Um, And we try to inspire people. Like with the book, My Mommy Has Breast Cancer, we try to inspire patients. We try to inspire their families, their children, um, to help them get through this. And in the age of COVID, it's so important that women still continue to get out there and get their mammograms. Like it's safe to go get your mammogram, even in this climate, you have to. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, Definitely wear a mask, get your mammogram. And then the other thing that you should tell your mom is, I mean, she not only saved your life, she saved millions of other women's lives. Like I remember being in med school 
with different clinical trials that were going on and now feed forward to now treating people with breast cancer while they're pregnant and that that's now the, the new standard of care. So those clinical trials shape what's the standard of care now. And for people that think, if I do a clinical trial, I'm not going to get the standard of care. That is absolutely not true. Usually, you get the standard of care. They see how you're responding. And if you're not responding, then it is, hey, there's a trial over here that can treat, I don't know, triple negative breast cancer, um, which black women are more likely to get, which I'll give some facts on later on. This amount of chemo can help reduce this cancer cell. So we're going to switch from this standard to something a little bit more aggressive. I don't think people understand that. So if you're getting a clinical trial, it's not that you're not getting the standard of care, it's that, hey, this standard of care is not working for you. So we're gonna switch lanes and give you something a little bit more aggressive, which has been shown to help before, but we just don't have enough people to prove that this should be the new standard of care. So. If your doctor is seeing that your chemo is not working, there's always a clinical trial going on or something that they can try again, almost until the very end. So make sure that you are seeking a second opinion. If someone's telling you there's only one type of chemo that you can be on and they're not familiar with clinical trials, then it may be that your hematologist may not be as academically involved and may not know of clinical trials. So that way you should seek a second opinion. But you're absolutely right. Black women are not involved in a lot of clinical trials. They just aren't. We have to fight for ourselves. And if you're not comfortable with your team, then maybe you need a new team. But you have to be your own advocate. Absolutely. So tell us about your book. Oh, my book. My mommy has breast cancer, but she's okay. I just light up when I talk about the book. Um, so I wrote the book the first time I was diagnosed and my daughter Madison was only two and I was looking and trying to find a book that I could read to her with images that look like us that would also share the story in a non-scary way for her. There wasn't one. So I just said, you know what, I'm going to write one. So I ended up writing, my mommy has breast cancer, but she's okay. And it really just talks about the story of Madison and myself. And I explain the different stages um, that we went through because everybody's journey is different. But I like to use the example of the butterfly. And a lot of people don't know this, but a monarch butterfly travels about a thousand miles during its lifetime. So that's from like Philadelphia to Florida. And I explain in the book that butterflies are so fragile and so delicate, but they make the journey. And so, you know, when you're going through breast cancer, you might be fragile, you might be delicate, the journey might be long, but you can do it just like the butterfly. And um, I love reading the book to children. Um, I hope that it inspires people to never give up despite what life throws their way. And I'm hoping that when a parent is reading it to their child, that they're also being inspired as well. That's amazing. I love that. I love that. You're trying to find resources, you can't find them. You know what? Let's create our own resources. I love that. So Carrie, usually in the podcast, we talk through some scenarios and we have some scenarios um, and some emails that have been sent to us by our listeners that Janine and I usually talk through. And so you are welcome and um, I'll say encouraged <laughs> to give us your take um, on these scenarios. So uh, Janine, you want to talk about your email? This letter starts off, hi ladies. 
I know I'm probably not your average writer, but I saw your request for breast cancer related questions and decided to write in. Last month, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. While my natural instinct is to continue to ask her if she's okay, I know that I need to do more and I need to be present in this moment with her. We have two beautiful children, ages three and five. I know that I need to be here for them as well. I want to make sure that I'm as knowledgeable about the upcoming journey as possible. I've found numerous articles and websites, but I'm looking for some more information for me and our children. If you ladies have any suggested reading for a husband of a breast cancer warrior and their kids, I would love to hear them. Um, thank you both in advance and thank you for giving us men who love black women something to help us understand them. Of course, uh, Carrie just mentioned her book for your children, but I also looked up a couple of other books and there is a book that's actually called Breast Cancer for Husbands, How to Help Your Wife and Yourself. And it's by Mark Silver. And that book is specifically geared towards husbands that have wives that have received a breast cancer diagnosis. And of course, Carrie's book, My Mommy Has Breast Cancer, But She's Going to Be Okay. I think that the resources you've given are fantastic. I would also suggest, and I'm sure that they've been connected to the Susan G. Komen Foundation, who usually will mail you a ton of books. If you have breast cancer yourself, if you have a family member, I have personally received books from them, even when I didn't ask them for books, um, because I was treating patients that had breast cancer. So literally one email to the Susan G. Coleman Foundation will get them a whole bunch of free books. I definitely uh, will advocate also for Carrie's book because you have children, you need a way to help your children to cope. Um, but in addition to him finding resources and reading, I would encourage him to listen because a lot of women, especially black women, don't talk about their problem. And that's why we created the podcast. So we can talk through our situation and what we're dealing with emotionally and not bottling it up. So for him as a husband, and I can tell he's a good husband because he really wants to learn and really wants to do all he can to support her. Um, I would say the number one thing is to listen and encourage her to talk about how she feels and how was chemo and encourage her to journal and encourage her to stay active. Um, when she doesn't feel like walking, encourage her and walk with her. Um, cook and make sure she's spending time with the kids. That may mean that, hey, we're bringing in help so that she doesn't have the burden of um, you know, running after the kids and cleaning up and she doesn't feel like she has to do those things. And I don't have to do those things so that he can spend more time with his family and she can spend more time with the family. That may be him taking time to clean more or bringing in somebody else to clean to help out with that burden. So I would say, you know, spend as much time with your wife and just listen and encourage her to talk. Yeah, and just to piggyback off of what everyone else is saying too, I do believe that caregiving is one of the hardest jobs that you can have. So even though you are concerned about your wife and your children and your family, you have to find a way to take care of yourself. You have to find a way to have an outlet to make sure um, that you can express what you're feeling. Um, I know from just my husband and just from dealing with my father um, that men tend to take it very hard. Um, to see their loved ones going through this. So, you know, I want to encourage you to just make sure that even though you're taking care of the house and the household and the children and your wife, that you find some time um, for yourself um, and to be able to express what's going on with yourself 
and to take care of yourself in terms of going to the doctors and making sure that you're healthy so that you can continue to, um, you know, help keep your family together. Caregiver exhaustion is real. One, stress does a lot to your body. So stress can do a lot to your body. Um, it can speed up disease courses and um, make you have diseases and develop diseases that you would otherwise not have gotten. So, uh, so caregiver exhaustion is real. Um, you do have to be extra meticulous in making sure you're taking care of yourself and taking a break and taking a day to yourself to get your hair and your nails done and make sure you are getting your annual exams and making sure you're working out and exercising as well and making sure that not only your spouse is eating healthy because they have breast cancer, but also make sure you're eating healthy and you're getting plenty of sleep and you're not staying up all night when they're asleep trying to clean which is why it's very important to make sure you have a village, make sure you have some support from your family. And if you don't and you can afford it, bringing in some outside support. More Oh That's Deep Black Women Conversations right after this. Hi, this is Nikki Woods inviting you to join me for Move, a podcast magazine for women. We talk about all of the things you need as a busy mother, entrepreneur, businesswoman, or just the woman on the go. We bring you fresh perspectives on health, relationships, food, finance, travel, and more. And we will also introduce you to some interesting women that are doing their thing. Find us on Apple Podcasts, iHeart, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. You can also follow us on Instagram at Move Podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at Move Podcasts. Move, a podcast for women just like you. Okay, so my let's talk through it is from one of our followers and it reads, I was diagnosed with breast cancer on September 21st. I found a small lump in my right breast on August 24th. On August 27th, I saw my GYN who set me up for a mammo and ultrasound. During the ultrasound, they found another lump in my left breast. Luckily, the lump turned out to be chronic mastitis but the right breast lump is invasive ductal carcinoma. I have no family history of any cancer, so it is definitely a surprise. I'm trying to be positive, but it's very difficult. I'm so lucky that I have a great support system, but I wanna cry every day. I have two small children and I'm scared that I won't have time. My doctors say my prognosis is positive, but they also thought it wasn't cancer, so I'm cautious. I'm praying every day for time, time to watch my girls grow up, graduate, get married, have children. I'm staying strong for my family, but deep down, I feel so broken. It doesn't give us much detail about her diagnosis, except for she has invasive ductal carcinoma. Um, the fact that her doctors are saying that right now it's positive to me means that she's in the early stages and should be very, very aggressive. So I would just encourage her to be aggressive in your treatment. It seems like this is recent. This is two months ago, not even two months ago that she's getting this diagnosis, tell her family, sit down, talk to your family, tell your family what's going on, and then literally treat this thing like it's a business. Get a notebook, write down when all of your chemo cycles are, write down what they say the goals are, keep your physicians accountable, and if they are confused or if they can't answer your questions, always ask for a second opinion and always ask them to get back with you. So if they say, well, I'll get back with you because doctors do that. If we don't know, we'll say, I don't know, but I'll get back with you. I'll find the information. Make sure they get back with you um, with the answers to your question. I mean, like I said, I treat diseases like they're businesses. Like I am like, let's go get it. Let's fight it. And then let's move on. So um, I would encourage her to be very aggressive and just know that I understand that 
you are feeling like you're running out of time, but none of us know how long we have on this life, right? We don't know, even if we never get diagnosed with any single illness, we can literally walk out the door and get hit by a car and our life is over. So we should live our lives as if it's our last breath um, every second. So I would not concentrate on the unknown. I would concentrate on what you know right now. And I would stay positive until somebody tells you otherwise. That's great advice. I can I can relate to a lot of things in that letter because sometimes I feel the same way. You know, I feel, am I going to be able to see my children graduate? Am I going to be able to see my girls get married? But I agree, you don't know. You can walk right out of here and get hit by a car. But we have to live in the moment um, and we have to try to I think sometimes I know with myself, I was so busy ripping and running. I never stopped to even like even take in my children and take in the day and and look at them and listen to them. And I think I look at life differently now. I don't stress the small stuff um, because in reality, it just really doesn't matter. And then, you know, I do think it's okay to get sad and to cry. But I also think that you got to get up too and get moving. You can't stay in that place. So it's okay to be sad. It's okay to wonder and try to figure out what's going to go on, but you got to find the will and the strength to keep going. And I know some people don't like to talk to a therapist. I mean, I just really just started talking to one, but I can tell you it helps immensely because sometimes it's hard to talk to family and friends and, you know, to be able to talk to someone and let them know exactly how you feel and work through your feelings I found that to be very beneficial too. So all I can say is hang in there. You have definitely something to live for. Um, And I hope to be hearing your story um, soon too. I don't really have anything to add, but I just want to say that everyone has talked about the importance of your village. And I think that oftentimes when people are diagnosed with uh, illness, the first thing that they think is that it's a death sentence. And then the second thing they think is that they somehow need to hide away. You know, that's been a theme throughout this episode where, you know, from Ananda Lewis to our listener, people just want to kind of like go and deal with this and process it on their own. And I think that it's important to speak to, you know, while in, in your mind, you may think that it might be a burden to others. I think that you have a support system and God has placed people in your life for a reason. And, you know, one of the things that my aunt who had breast cancer said is that we didn't come into this world on our own. So you have to utilize the people that God gave you and place in your life because that's why he placed them there. I would just like to encourage people to make sure that you share it with your family. I mean, yes, you can take the time that you need to process the diagnosis on your own, but don't climb this mountain by yourself. Like it's, it's really important to utilize the people that you have. I'll add one more thing because I recently lost my sorority sister last week. And I know we briefly mentioned it because I found out during the recording um, that she passed away from breast cancer that returned aggressively. And she had, you know, receptor negative breast cancer, which is very aggressive amongst African-American women. Talking to my sorority sisters this week, obviously we've been checking on each other more frequently this week. People that I hadn't heard from since we graduated college, I've had text messages from and I've talked to and had conversations. And so it's been great. But one thing my best friend um, and I talked about, who's also my line sister, said, what do we want to leave as our legacy here? Like, how do we want to be remembered? Um, And I think that sometimes we don't really think about that. Like, what do we want to be remembered for? We just think about we want to live. We want to, you know, achieve these goals and make sure we have some money in our pockets. 
but what do we want to be remembered for? I would just encourage um, this follower to concentrate on your legacy and how you want your children to remember you and um, what you want to leave behind for them and make that your focus. Even once you beat cancer, because you'll beat it. Even once you beat cancer, focus on that. Because, you know, like we've all said, you don't know how long you're going to be here regardless of with or without cancer. We know that we have to leave. And how do we want our children and our great-grandchildren and our friends and our family, how do we want them to remember us? And what do we want to leave behind? What are they going to think about 10 years after we're gone and laugh? What are those things? So be intentional about spending time with your family um, if you're cautious about what your doctor said, get a second opinion, but then believe it. If you have a good prognosis, like accept that good prognosis. Not everything is bad and be aggressive. And while you're being aggressive, focus not on every day waking up thinking, oh my God, I have cancer. But like, what are you going to do to leave your legacy? Like leave your footprint here and work on that and make that your passion. Janine, what did you learn new this week? Okay, so there are a couple of things. So um, according to the Breast Cancer Prevention Partners, which is a nonprofit organization, um, they mentioned that there are some things that you should watch out for. And they have not been proven to cause breast cancer, but they have some of these things have chemicals that have been proven to cause breast cancer in them. So um, skin lightener hair relaxer, Brazilian blowout treatments, acrylic nails, and some fragrances. So they suggest that, you know, skip the toxic hair products, um, go natural, reduce the products that have fragrances, avoid nail polishes that have um, the toxic trio, which one of the ingredients in the toxic trio is formaldehyde. Um, read the labels closely and look for some safe alternatives to things that are heavy, um, have heavy chemicals in them. And there are some websites and apps that you can go to. And one of them is Think Dirty. One of them is also The Good Guide. So if you are interested in going, being a little bit more holistic and natural with things just to be on the safe side, those are some um, websites and apps that you can go to. And also, I just wanted to highlight a couple of Black-owned, female-owned businesses, so businesses that are owned by Black women that are either donating to the breast cancer research or that are owned by breast cancer survivors as a way that you can help uh, breast cancer survivors. So here in the, the DMV, there's a, a lady named Kendra Woolridge, and she owns a company called Janet and Joe, and it's a, a nail polish company. And this month, um, because both her mother and grandmother had breast cancer, she is donating the proceeds from her Breast Friends Forever, which is a, a group of nail polishes, to Making Strides Against Breast Cancer. So October and through the end of November, she if you go to Janet and Joe and purchase the Breast Friends Forever collection. The proceeds will go to Making Strides Against Breast Cancer. Also, our favorite Mantra Mugs. Mantra Mugs, the founder, owner, and CEO, she is a breast cancer survivor. So if you purchase a Mantra Mug, you are directly supporting a breast cancer survivor. And she's actually a two-time breast cancer survivor. And I'm going to let Carrie talk about where she works that is owned and operated by a breast cancer survivor as well. Yes, I work. Um, I'm a partner at Anita T. Connor and Associates. Uh, we are located right outside of Philadelphia. We're also known as the Tax Divas. 
So we're a full service financial um, accounting firm. Uh, we do everything from taxes to um, insurances, retirements, bookkeeping, and both my mother and I are breast cancer survivors. And then we also have our nonprofit, which is Praises the Cure, um, which really focuses on educating and um, providing support to Black women, breast cancer patients, survivors, and their families. So tell us where they can find all of that information on social media and or online. Um, social media, we have a Facebook page, Praises the Cure, and Instagram, Praises the Cure. And um, please check out our website, which is www.praisesthecure.com, um, and you can reach us there. Awesome. So check out Praises the Cure and donate, guys. The truth of the matter is we need people to help support these organizations that will help save some of our Black women. I'm going to go donate today <laughs> because... Uh, you know what? All y'all out there listening, you need tax write-offs. Go ahead and donate. Absolutely. Go ahead and donate. It's either the government's going to get it or the nonprofits are going to get it. So go make your donation today. I know that our followers are going to get us and be like, oh my God, I got a relaxer, so I'm going to get cancer. That is not what Janine just said, okay? So do not come for us talking about this, but these are just things that have been affiliated with cancers. So- just make sure, because you know people uh, people hear what they want to hear. Correct. So I just wanted to make sure I clarify that. Okay. So um, I know we talked about um, though that list, Janine, and ways that Black women can reduce their risk, and women in general. Um, so I know we talked about Black women having um, more aggressive forms of breast cancer. Um, just something that I learned as of this year, uh, we used to say that the incidence of breast cancer amongst Black and white women are the same actually higher in white women as of this year, actually as of last year, higher in white women. It's just that black women have a higher rate of actually dying from breast cancer. And um, so that one in eight statistic is still the same. Um, but when we talk about the types of uh, breast cancer, breast cancer in black women is more likely to be triple negative. And so when we say triple negative, we mean estrogen receptor negative, progesterone receptor negative, and HER2 new negative. Um, and so those are different receptors that different chemotherapies can target. So if you have all of those receptors that are negative, that means that, hey, these chemo treatments aren't going to be as responsive because these chemo treatments are blocking these three different receptors. And if you don't have them, then you can't really be treated as aggressively. So that is uh, one reason that black women are dying at higher rates because the, the chemotherapy just isn't as effective. And um, to Carrie's point, if we're not participating in chemical trials, then guess what chemos are being developed? The ones that are for estrogen receptor positive patients, right? Because that's most, most likely affecting Caucasian women and they're in the trial. So it's very important to be in trials so that we can work on drugs that can um, treat these more aggressive cancers. The other thing um, people can always say, you know, what can I do to reduce my risk? The two main controllable risk factors that can reduce your risk. One, if you have children, breastfeeding. Breastfeeding can reduce your risk, and that's something that you can actually do. Breastfeeding, even for a short span, even three months, will help reduce your risk of breast cancer. And the biggest thing is decrease your excess abdominal fat, okay? People don't want to talk about obesity, because it's just, you know, in black women, we're just thick, right? We're curvy, we're thick, we're, we love our bodies, we embrace it. 
I think that black women are beautiful in every shade and shape and size. But one thing is very clear. If you have more abdominal fat, you have a higher risk of triple negative breast cancer, specifically triple negative breast cancer than people that have lower abdominal fat. So I would encourage you, get a friend like Janine, and it will help reduce your uh, excess abdominal fat because that is the number one thing you can do to reduce your risk of uh, breast cancer. If you have genes that put you at higher risk of breast cancer, like what we call BRCA genes or BRCA genes one and two, um, those are things that you should be aware of. That's why it's important for you to talk to your family. Talk to your, your mom got breast cancer, ask, have you been tested for these genes? Because that means that you need to be screened automatically very, very, very early, starting at age 30 or 10 years before she was screened. But in the meantime, reduce your excess body fat. Get a friend like Janine. <laughs> um, Nicole, can you go briefly into what BRCA is, what BRCA genes are? Because I'm not familiar with that. So um, BRCA genes, and I know Carrie probably knows about um, BRCA genes, which are breast cancer receptor one and two genes. So there are women that have these genes. And if you have the genes, they're what's called autosomal dominant, meaning your children have a 50-50 chance of also having the gene. And so if you have the gene, you have a significantly higher rate of getting breast cancer because that's, that's why it's named BRCA. Um, for breast cancer receptors, uh, one and two. So if you have these genes, that means that you need to be very aggressive. Some people, if they have the genes, um, because they know they have an extremely high lifetime risk of getting breast cancer and a high risk of getting breast cancer before age 40, some people get prophylactic mastectomies, meaning like they just go ahead and get a mastectomy before they even get breast cancer because they know they're at higher risk. Now, that gene is more likely to cause you to have breast cancer, but it's also related to other types of cancer, like ovarian cancer as well as colon cancer. So if you have that gene, you need to be screened frequently. Don't go and ask your, your doctor, hey, I heard on the podcast that Dr. Plenty said, um, if I have this gene, I'm a higher risk for cancer, so I need to get screened. If you have a higher risk of cancer in your family, you need to get screened. So if you have a first-degree relative with breast cancer, especially if they were diagnosed before age 50, you should have automatically been asked uh, if you wanted to be tested for that gene. Um, if you weren't, you, you should ask if you should be tested for that gene. If you have no family history of breast cancer, then you would not need to be tested for that gene. You would need to start your mammograms annually starting at age 40, every one to two years. I know the American Cancer Society still says every year, but the U.S. Preventative Task Force says every two years. I think that's because of money, but don't get me started on the politics of that. But either way, you should start your breast cancer screening um, at age 40. But that is what BRCA is, is breast cancer receptor one and two genes. All right, so motivational moment for the week. Whatever thing you're battling with, remember your why. Remember this thing, quote unquote, does not define you. Don't let it consume you day after day. Press on, find your purpose, and keep going one day at a time. Until we meet again. Pray, work, slay. And show off your melanated excellence. Bye. Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversations is produced by Nicole Lee Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Get the Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversation podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or where you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate us. 
You can follow Oh That's Deep Black Women Conversations on IG at Oh That's Deep BWC. Oh That's Deep Black Women Conversations is a mean old lion media production. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.